This last week, on Wednesday, ALCS for Pastors Appreciation invited all of the pastors on staff to come over to chapel and get prayed for. And I had the fourth graders pray over me, and they gave me written down their prayers. And I just thought I would read just a couple of these to you. Dear Lord, I pray that you will help our pastor preach more about God. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) Dear God, thank you for this pastor, for teaching us about you, and help him, please, stay healthy and hydrated. Dear God, please bless this pastor and help him every day and help him do better and better every time he preaches. I pray that pastor will keep being a Christian and preaching also. I also pray that he will go to heaven. Amen. So we are in a series on the kingdom of heaven, and it's the parables in the gospel of Matthew. In all of the other gospels, it's called the kingdom of God. Matthew doesn't use God because his audience are Jews, and Jews were very reluctant to use God's name. So he calls it the kingdom of heaven. We talked about parables last week. Parables at one and the same time conceal their truth from those who are either too lazy to to find out about what the truth is or too stubborn to to change their thinking in line with the parable. But at the very same time that it conceals from one group, to those who are hungry for the truth and humble enough to, to say, I will adjust my thinking to wherever it goes, it will reveal that truth in a deeper way than if there there hadn't been a parable. It takes something familiar and compares it to something unfamiliar. So the title of the, the sermon, different than what the bulletin said, is The Master's Plan. Before we read the text, today's parable answers the age old question that's asked all the time out there, if God is good and God is all-powerful and God is sovereign over everything that's happening, then what in the world is God doing right now? Why is this the world that we have if God is good, all-powerful, and sovereign? Why is the world such a mess if God is really in charge? Today's parable is going to answer that question. And then the companion, once you grasp what God is doing, how can I join what God is doing right now? So let's stand as we look at the text. This is one of those where Jesus gives not just the parable, but he gives what it means. Here we go, Matthew Chapter 13, starting in verse 24. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. 
When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. Okay, now we get the interpretation. Then he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Father, here we are today. Lord, just you, what this implies is you can, you can hear a message and not really hear it and not be changed by it and not adjust to it. Lord, we're asking, we're begging really. Please, God, help us to hear, not just words, but help us to grasp what you are speaking because it, it, it doesn't just affect us. It affects everybody that is around us. Help us hear what the Spirit is saying. Hide me behind the cross Help us hear Jesus, see Jesus, and then respond to Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, amen. amen. You may be seated. So the master's plan. First, two sowers and seeds. Two seeds. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like. He is going to give something familiar to describe something on familiar. The unfamiliar that he is describing is how the kingdom of God is coming right now, because they already have an idea of how the kingdom should come. When Messiah comes, he, the, the, all evil is going to be destroyed, and righteousness is going to rule, and he's going to be on a throne, and he's going to have this scepter, this rod, that he's going to punish all evil, and, and so the, the glory of the Lord will be over. Messiah is going to change everything, and Jesus Jesus says, mm, not coming that way. It's not coming the way you think it was going to come. You, can, you can't really do this parable all by itself. This is right after the parable of the sower. In the first parable, which we did last week, there's one sower, Jesus, and there's only one type of seed. The seed is the word of God. The kingdom is not, they thought the kingdom was, when the kingdom came, it would change governments. Rome would no longer be ruling. The kingdom of God would be ruling. Jesus said, no, that's not how the kingdom's coming. It's coming as a seed 
to change, not governments, but to, to change human hearts. So now in the second parable, the seed now, Jesus is still the sower, but the seed now are all of those who in the first parable were the 30, 60, and 100-fold Christians, the ones that persevered through and are genuine Christians. They are now being, they are the ones being sown into the world. So Jesus is sowing the, the sons of the kingdom, the sons and daughters of the kingdom into the world. They are the seed. And there is a second sower, and that sower is the devil. And the devil and all of his minions are over everybody that Jesus has not sown. Everybody that does not believe in Jesus, whether they know it or not, are part of darkness. And they are being used by darkness to actually put all of, the, of God's master plan at risk. They are leading the wheat astray. And he says, this is going to continue until the harvest. And then he says this, at the harvest, there is going to be a separation. Now, it is so funny when you read, com- pastors read lots of commentaries. What, what do people say about this and that? And, and it, it's funny because commentators can have very different opinions that, on the same text. But in this one situation, almost every commentary agrees that the weeds are a very special weed that grows in Israel called the Darnell weed. And the reason why they all agree is because the Darnell weed at its early stages looks exactly like a weed. You couldn't tell them apart. But when it is harvest time, the head of the wheat gets heavy and it bows. And the Darnell wheat stays straight and it becomes very clear which one is wheat and which one is a weed. And Jesus says that there's going to be a separation. The weeds will be burned up and thrown into eternal fire where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth and the righteous will then shine in the, separ- in the kingdom of the Father. Just a few verses later, sec- another parable about the, the, the fish and the bad fish taken out, the fisherman that ha- puts his net out and he throws away all the bad fish, and then this conclusion at the end this is once again separation. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Many weeks from now, we will do the the parable of the sheep and the goats, and it all starts out again. At the end of the age, there will be a separation of sheep and goats. The sheep are going to go into the kingdom that was prepared for them before the foundation of the world, and they will enter into the joy of God and the joy of the Father. And the goats on his left, chapter 25, verse 41, he will say this, Depart from me into the eternal fire that was prepared for the devil and his angels. This judgment will be carried out by the good angels. 
It is the, the, the devil and his angels, this is all the angels that fell, the third of the angels that fell, they're the ones that have sown all of this trouble and God is going to use the good angels to carry out his judgment on the wicked. That is how it will be at the end of the age. That's point one. Here's point two, the problem of evil. So here's, here's the problem of evil. So the servant of the owner says this. If you're good, and if everything you do is good, and everything you want is good, then why is there evil in this world? And the answer is this. I am allowing the devil and demons in this current time. A day is coming when Satan and his angels will be judged and they'll be in the lake of fire. And they thought when the kingdom came that, that, that all evil would be gone. And Jesus said, uh, that's not where we are right now. The devil is still loose. The demons are still doing their thing. This is, this is sovereignly known by God. And so everybody wants to know, so what, Pastor Tom, so is the world getting better or is the world getting worse? Here is the answer. Jesus tells us the answer. Both. Both. You do not need to worry about the church. The church will not be destroyed. The church will not be overcome. We've got it right from Jesus. I will build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail. The gates are the strategies of hell will not prevail against the church. That's that's right from Jesus. The, The son of man is continuing to sow into the world. And more and more and more people are being saved. The world is getting better because more and more people are becoming Christian. However, the world is also becoming worse. The enemy is continuing to sow. You can cast a a demon out of one place and they just go to another place. You don't get rid of them right now. They are in this age. So this is, this this means this for, for believers. Don't be surprised by evil. Don't be disillusioned by evil. (gasps) I thought everything was going to get better. Don't be discouraged by evil. It's here. God knows it's here. There should be no triumphalism in the church that the church is going to take over governments and the church is going to make everything all better. Nope, the church won't. When Jesus comes back, yes, but not until then. This is the age we're in. This is the time we're in. We have got wheat and we have got weeds, Darnell weeds. The problem of evil. This is the world that we are living in. So then the servants ask this question. How should we respond to those who are in darkness and the evil that endangers the harvest? First, Jesus says, don't be surprised by it. It's it's here and it's going to be here. Then he says this. Don't do what comes natural to you. Should we remove it? Should we get rid of the evil? Should we, we see evil, evil's all around us. Should we get rid of it? And Jesus says, no. If you do that, you're actually going to make things worse, not better. You will mean well, but you may end up causing more trouble than helping. 
let's, let's just talk for just a moment about the history of the Crusades. So what happened with the Crusades? The Crusades, of course, everybody didn't even have a Bible. The clergy had Bibles, and the, basically the clergy got the masses worked up, and very, very sincere people ended up believing that they could remove evil if we got rid of Jews and Muslims, different crusades did different things, and that we're, we're, gonna, we're gonna get rid of evil. And the tremendous damage that came. First, in that day, the very people God wanted to save, they were killing. But do you see the ongoing damage that has happened. It's very hard to talk to Jews or Muslims about Jesus because of the Crusades, because it's, it's caused, it's made it hard throughout the generation. And it all started with somebody just wanting to remove evil. We just want the kingdom of God to come and we want to remove evil. Psalms chapter 37, verses seven through nine. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil. When you see evil, when you experience evil, when you are touched by evil, refrain from anger, do not respond how, what comes natural to you. Forsake wrath. When we see evil, we get angry about it. We get stirred up about it. Don't go there. When you see evil, do not fret. That means don't become fearful. Don't become anxious. Because if you fret, it will lead you to do evil. You will mean to do good, but you will end up actually empowering darkness. So there is a saying, and it's especially around during elections, and it goes like this. The only thing necessary for evil to triumph is for good people to do nothing. Okay, has anybody ever heard that before? Okay. Now, the, 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 that, that is true, but it's not the whole truth. I'm going to give you the whole statement because the whole statement is much more complicated and much more discouraging, okay? I know you like to be discouraged, so let me give you the whole, let me give you the whole saying. Here's the whole saying, or the whole truth. The only thing necessary for evil to triumph is for good people to do nothing or to act and speak out of fear or out of anger. When you respond to evil directly, you end up empowering evil. When, when you give into your fear and you say things and you write things and you do things out of fear or out of anger, you, even though your heart is, I'm trying to be the solution. I'm trying to point out what's wrong. I'm trying to, you end up empowering evil. So here's what happened two years ago. The church made a mess out of the election. Both political parties use fear and anger. Why? 
Because fear and anger are huge engines. They speak. They, they, they cause a reaction. And if you can get afraid of these people and afraid of what they're doing and angry about what they're doing and angry about it, then we can get you to give. We can get you to vote. We can get you to show up. We can, get, we can, we can change this. But we need, to get, we need to fuel this engine. And so we had, we had people angry and afraid on the right people angry and afraid on the left, and then lots of people said stuff out of, on Facebook and to each other, and da-da-da, and of course, there was so much other stuff going on with masks and vaccines and race, and there, were, there was so much fear and anger, and, and of course, we're free to do and say whatever we want to in America, so we're going we're gonna to get it out there, and what ends up happening and happened was we ended up empowering anger and fear. And the darkness got worse. And even though we meant well, we, 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 we're just sincere good people and this is how we see it and this is what we need to do for the country and this is what would be good for government. And, and so, but, so we, we meant well, but we did it in the wrong spirit and it empowered the very thing that we, we, we wanted the country to become better and it became worse. Now, I'm praying that we won't make the same mistake in the midterms. In fact, Tuesday night, the whole prayer meeting Tuesday night is devoted to praying for the elections, praying for this country. How does this work? Let me tell you about the Lord of the Rings. So there is this ring, and it, it, it is the ring of power controls all of the other rings. And uh, it comes into the hands of the good guys. And Gandalf is kind of the wise leader, and he says, this has to be destroyed in Mount Doom. It has to be destroyed in the same place that it was forged. Somebody has to throw it into the fires of Mount Doom. And Boromir, which I think is significant, Boromir is the human. <laughs> He's not a wizard or a dwarf or an elf or a hobbit. He's the human. And here's what the human says. The human says what comes natural to human beings. Guys, this is a gift. We've got the power. Let's use the power we have to destroy the evil one. Let's use the power that we've got the ring of power. And Gandalf says, Boromir, I love your zeal. But if we use this ring, we will end up becoming the dark lord ourselves. We will, we will use it meaning to do good, meaning to bring about good. But if we use this ring, we will be deceived by its power, and we will be the new dark lord. It must be destroyed. So Frodo is the ring bearer. He's a hobbit, and the, the difficulty with the ring is it just carrying it is a, is, a, is a burden. And it always wants you to put it on. But if you ever put it on, its control over you gets stronger. So you, you can't be putting it on. And so, so, so Frodo courageously has to be resisting the temptation to put the ring on as on his journey to Mount Doom, where, where is the only place that it can be destroyed. Now, this is a picture, guys, of a lot of believers still have fear and anger in their hearts and in their lives. 
Sometimes it's because of family things that you've just inherited. Sometimes it's because of trauma in your life that made you afraid or that made you angry. But it's right on the fringes of your life, anger and fear. And it's, it's a, just a burden you carry. And every day, because you love Jesus, you try not to put them on. I'm not going to put it on. not going to put it on. I'm not going to put it on. But it's, it's, it's a burden to you. And then once in a while, you do put it on. <laughs> You do put it on and you start making decisions or writing emails or Facebooks out of fear, out of anger, and you empower and you get more under its control. And of course, the enemy wants to, to define you by your fear and your anger. This is just who you are. This is just, this is just you telling everybody who you are. You are angry. You are afraid. You are, you are. And it, it takes more and more power. And so Christians, of course, if you go to church, if you read your Bible, you're going to realize fear and anger are not the engines I'm supposed to live by. I'm supposed to live my life in the spirit of God, by the love of God, in the goodness of God. I am supposed to walk in the spirit. You say, well, you know, Psalms 37, that's, you know, so we're supposed to do nothing? No, that's not nothing. Waiting on God is not nothing. Waiting on God, trusting God, and then doing only what God says is not nothing. It, 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 God's running everything. God's running everything. Well, I am afraid about America, and I am angry about America. Okay, fair. Take it to God. Wait on God. Don't act. Don't write. Don't Facebook. Wait on God. Process your anger. Process your fear, and then see what God is saying you're supposed to do. So it turns out, though, that God has something more than you just bearing the burden of fear and anger. He's got a place where you can be free from it. It's called Mount Calvary. It's called the cross. God wants to. He wants us to get our identity out of our fear and anger and bring it to the cross and say, Jesus, take this away. I don't want to live under this anymore. The cross promises a freedom not to do whatever we want to do, but a freedom to walk in the right engine, to walk in the love of God, to walk in the spirit of God. How many know that fear and anger have a voice? It's a very loud voice. It's a very strong voice. God wants to remove that voice in your head and in your emotions, even though it's in culture. It's always, you're never gonna get rid of fear and anger in our culture for the same reason we're not gonna get rid of evil this time. It's all around us. But believers are supposed to be different. So we bring our anger and we bring our fear that has tried to control us and we unload it at the cross. Jesus takes our fear and anger and he gives us his peace and his love and his spirit and says, now walk this way. All right, so that was the problem of evil. That was point two. We're on point three. We're almost over. Point three joining the master's plan. What in the world is God doing about evil? I'm so glad you asked. I got it right here. Number one, he is calling the human race to bow down to Jesus in repentance. Here's 2 Peter 3.9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. It turns out 
that God's plan for every single weed is for them to become a weed. Now, this is disturbing, but in God's picture, we all started out weeds. This longing for the kingdom of God to come and destroy evil. Um, If Jesus had done that the first time he came, the whole planet would have been gone. Every single human being would have been gone. People that say that, they always got themselves, and I'm the good guy. I just want the bad guys destroyed. And I, of course, I'm part of the good guys. This is the rich young ruler. Oh, good teacher, tell me what I must do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus says this, why are you calling me good? God alone is good. He had no idea he was talking to God. Jesus is correcting a theology that says there's good people and there's bad people and I'm the good people. Jesus said, nope, there's only bad people. Before the holiness of God, there's only people that have sinned against God. There's only Darnell wheat that are standing, that they're... So God's waiting. Why are we still in this time? Why doesn't God do something? Here's why. Because God wants you saved. And God wants your neighbor saved. And he's patient with evil that is happening right now because he wants people to become saved. He wants people to bow down. So uh, (laughs) I read this, this testimony by this guy in Full Gospel Businessman. This is years ago I read the testimony, but it really captured me. This guy tells, they would tell stories of how they got saved. That we had this magazine, it was once a month, and it was just testimonies of how people got saved. And so this particular guy, he's in the library, and he walks past this table that's got a tract on it. And the tract says this, four reasons why it's hard to go to hell. And he, he reads it, and he goes past, and he does a double take. What? That didn't say that. I Everything I've ever heard is that it's really easy to go to hell. Did that say hard? Let me see that. He goes back and it's like, it says four reasons that it's hard to go to hell. He's like, I got to find out why it's hard to go to hell. I always thought it was really easy to go to hell. So he opens it up. Here's the four reasons. Number one, because God loves you and Jesus died on the cross for your sins. It is his will for you to be saved. To go to hell, you have to resist the will of God. This is why Jesus died. The, you, you know what he says? He says to those on the right, go to the place prepared for you from the beginning of time. Come into the kingdom with joy. Do you know what he has to say to those on the left? Go to the place that was prepared for Satan and his angels. Guys, there's not a place prepared for you to, to, to not be with God. You have to go to the place that was made for Satan and his angels. God loves you. Jesus died for you. The reason why Jesus came into the world as a human being is because Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin was death. What you guys, what we have all earned for our sinning is death, which means not just physical death, it's separation from God. Jesus came into the world to be a sacrifice, to pay the wages that we, oh, well, why couldn't God just forgive it if he can do anything? Listen, God can't contradict himself. He is loving. He does love you, but he's also really holy. And he can't just arbitrarily forgive sin. It had to be paid for. Jesus paid for it. He paid for the gift so that you and I could have it for free. We get eternal life. This is the plan of God for you and I to have eternal life, for you and I to make it. That's one. Number two, 
He didn't, just, he didn't just love you and die for you on the cross. He sent the Holy Spirit into the world. The Holy Spirit is in the world right now. He's God's lawyer. He's convicting people of sin. He, he, when you go the wrong way, he's there. Jesus said he's going to draw all people to me. If I die on that cross, the Holy Spirit is going to draw, and the Holy Spirit is drawing you. Third reason, angels. Did you know that only a third of the angels fell? That means two-thirds are still around. Did you know that Matthew 18 infers that every single one of us has an angel assigned to us? There's an angel that reports back and forth to God for you. And he's setting up appointments so that you can hear the gospel, so that you can, you can, you can he's protect you. If we, when we find out how many things we were protected from, how many car accidents we were protected we're like, whoa, I, I always thought I was a good driver. It took, it took a mass of angels to keep me out of accidents. Are you kidding me, God? Really? Anyway, um, God's got angels in the world to, 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 to help move you towards the right thing. And then fourth, the Holy Spirit, who's the lawyer, he's got all of these witnesses. God commands every Christian right when they get saved to start sharing with other people the good news that God loves broken, sinful humanity and he wants to save them. And these witnesses are everywhere and he plants them everywhere and they, they talk to you and they are, they are living out of their own lives the, the beauty of God and the peace of God and the love of God and then they tell you the words of the gospel so that you can get saved. And so to go to hell, here's why it's hard to go to hell. You have to resist all four of these your whole life to go to hell. It's really hard to go to hell. And he's, he's reading this and he's like, huh. So I've been resisting, I've been resisting all of these forces all of my life. He said, maybe it's time for me to get saved. And he prayed the prayer on the back of the tract and got saved. Now, what does all this mean? Here's what it means. If you go to hell, it's on you. If you go to hell, it's not God's fault you went to hell. It will be your fault that you went to hell. You were too lazy to find the truth or too stubborn to hear the truth, but you got no one to blame if you end up in hell except you. You want to join God's purpose right now? First thing you need to do is get saved. You need to bow. You need to be part of the wheat that bows. The Darnell wheat that stays standing. Here's what it says. I will retain judgeship. I will judge people. In fact, I will judge God himself. I will decide whether this is a good world or a bad world or what, what, whether I approve or not because I myself am judged. And the savior thing, uh, thanks anyway. I'll save myself. I'm good enough. I'm, I'm, I'm a good person. I'm... Whatever I am, I will, and I'm going to stand up tall because I don't want a judge and I don't need a savior. Watch out, Darnell Wheat. Watch out. Watch out. Jesus, Jesus, when Jesus warned us about hell, it wasn't to make us afraid. He was just telling us the truth. This is how it's going to end, folks. How do I join the master's plan? Secondly, plan to persevere. It's a little terrifying when we read the parable of the sower. I don't know if you noticed this last week, but two-thirds of those who started out Christians didn't end up Christians. It was the word of God, and they believed. 
But some, when persecution came and people didn't like it and the opinions of others didn't like it, they quickly fell away. And others, they believed, they, they got past the persecution, but then the cares and the worries and the pleasures of this life, and they ended up losing their faith. They got choked out. It turns out you're going to have to persevere to be saved. Jesus said about the 30, 60, 100 fold, they received the word of God in a good, honest heart, and they persevered. Let me tell you one person that will for sure persevere over your life. The devil. He came and attacked Jesus early on in the desert, and then it simply says this, he left him for a more opportune time. The, the, Satan said, oh, I guess I, guess I can't, gonna, I'm not going to get, nope, I'm going to wait for another opportunity. When you stand against the enemy, when you go to church, when you're on fire for Jesus, Satan just says, well, let's wait. We'll just wait for a more opportune time. We'll wait till they're tired. We'll wait till they're hurt. In fact, we'll set up the hurt. We'll set up the offense. And then we will see what they're really made of. Have you ever thought about this? That Jesus persevered for you? Have you ever thought about the fact that Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, Peter wants to help him and Jesus says, listen, I'd say one word. There'd be 12 legions of angels here. I don't have to go through with this. Father, If you can remove this cup from me, do it. But if this is the only way to save them, I will drink the cup of the sins of the world and the wrath of God against sin. Jesus persevered for you. Is he worth you persevering for him? Is he worth it? Even if it's hard, even if it's difficult, even though you have a cup of suffering, you have a cup of confusion, you have a cup of something's not going right. Is he worth you persevering anyway? You got to decide, you got to decide, I'm going to be 30, 60, 100. I'm not going to be the the two-thirds that fall away. I'm in, and I'm in for Jesus. If no one else is in, I'm in. I'm in if I suffer. I'm in if things don't go right. I'm in, and I value my salvation above the opinions of others and above the distractions of this world. I'm going to make it. You got to decide that. And then thirdly, let God sow you into the world. So this, I just love this. God says, I'm not worried about what the devil's doing. What I'm going to do is I'm going to take these 30, 60, 100-fold Christians and I'm going to sow them into the world. I'm going to sow some of them in Jerusalem, some in Samaria, some in Judea, and some to the outermost parts of the earth. I'm going to sow some of them in Madison, some in Sun Prairie, some in McFarland, some in Stoughton. I'm going to sow them everywhere. I'm going to, I'm going to make them dentists. I'm going to make them uh, waitresses. I'm going to have them work at McDonald's. I'm going to have them be biologists. I'm going to send them into politics. I'm going to, I'm going to have them all over the place. I'm going to sow them into the world. And because they're in me and because they're persevering in me, they're not going to respond to evil. They're going to respond to me wherever I've planted them. And they are going to be light in the darkness. Pastor Tom, I can't do it. There's so much darkness around me. I I need to get one of those jobs at church. (laughs) I'm so tired of the darkness. I'm such a darkness. Listen, light shines in darkness. If God's planted you somewhere, stop complaining about it and start bearing fruit there. His plan was light in the darkness. His his plan was beauty in the midst of ugliness. 
that Jesus would give us his beauty, that we would love people. We live in a world that's hard, that's cynical, that's cutting. We live in a world that's abusive. We live in a world that's angry and afraid, don't we? <laughs> and God, Jesus says, here's the plan. I'm gonna set you there. I'm gonna put my beauty on you. You're gonna love people. You're gonna be gentle with people. You're gonna be kind to people. You're not gonna get so upset by what happened in the news yesterday because you're, you're trusting me. I am setting beauty in the midst of ugliness. I am setting you as hope in the midst of despair. I am setting you as life in the midst of death. And your fragrance, which is really my fragrance, is gonna go all through you. Jesus, it says that he's sowing seed into the world. You know how Jesus sows seed now? Through his body. We're his hands and his feet. We're how people get saved now. He, he plants us, he sows us into the world. These persevering Christians that won't give up and they just, they just live a witness. And more and more people come into the kingdom.